like to look with us. We're in the last two verses of chapter 6 in the book of John. Um, The multitude has just left. Um, Remembering Jesus' words that if you don't eat His flesh and drink His blood, and certainly he, He says those words have spiritual implication. But the multitude, they're sickened, they're offended, and they leave. The Lord has turned in to His disciples and said, will you also go away? And Simon Peter, who uh, really in all the Gospels, he's more or less the spokesman of the group. Simon Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. We believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. So Peter's made this great confession here, and we looked at a couple other places where Peter makes confessions like unto this, knowing that it was God Himself, God the Father. And that's what Jesus says, it was my Father in heaven that has revealed this unto you. And if you have knowledge of who the Lord Jesus truly is, even in this day, it, it all comes from the same source. God the Father has revealed to you who the Lord Jesus is. And that's why there's believers. It's not of flesh and blood. The flesh profiteth nothing. But after this great profession, now, in verse 70, Jesus answered them, Have I not chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? He spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for he it was that should betray him, being one of the twelve. So, we've mentioned this before. This is called out, and not just in John, but in other places. The Lord makes it clear to the disciples that they're not all in line with Him. Here He says, and you think about the strong words, Have I not chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? He calls Him a devil. And so notice just a couple things about this, and we'll look at a scripture or two. One of you is. That's, that's present tense. As Jesus is speaking this, Judas, whom he's speaking of, is a devil. Not is going to be, not is going to make a decision that's going to make him one, but he is presently, at this time, a devil. And certainly, he was a devil from the beginning. And he was prophesied of in the book of Psalms, um, Psalm 41, verse 9, Mine own familiar friend in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. And there's many other prophecies in the Psalms and in the prophets of Judas that was going to be in Jesus' group of friends and he was going to be the betrayer. And Peter's going to quote some in the book of Acts chapter 1 after Judas is dead that they said, let his family be desolate Let somebody else take his bishopric, take his place. And so this was not something that was unknown to Jesus. And I believe here, if you were a critic and you were looking for holes in uh, the claim that Jesus was the Son of God, I believe right here would be a great place to start. Well, one of his own friends betrayed him. One of his closest allies But when you recognize that this was the plan of God from the very beginning, that this is the way 
that God ordered and prophesied of and brought to pass that this would happen and that Jesus wasn't surprised, but Jesus knew and was aware all along who was the devil. And so here we see the plan of God. But here's my question then. Why, if, if Judas was a devil at this time, and if Judas was a devil all along, then why was it that he didn't betray him beforehand? We've read uh, earlier in this chapter, the Jews sought to kill him. We're going to see more of that in chapter 7. If their desire was to arrest him and kill him, why didn't they do that before? Why hadn't this already happened? Well, I, I think a lot of times we don't give God the credit for the control that he has over all things. God's got control over evil too. God's in control of those that don't belong to him. God's in control of the devil. And nothing happens outside of God's ordering and allowing to happen. And so in the book of Thessalonians, and this is very familiar, you'll know it and recognize it right away. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we have in verse 8, that wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth. We look on down here in verse number 9, whose coming is after the working of Satan, all deceivableness and unrighteousness in them that perish. But what's going to happen to this one? Well, he's going to be made manifest. But what is in verse number 6 and verse number 5? Remember you not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. And now you know what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. So there's a time of revelation, even for those that do not belong to God. And there's a withholding that's taken place. So as this revelation doesn't happen too soon. So can you see this, apply this to Judas now. Here's Judas who is a devil, who seeks to betray him, who before he actually does betray, it's in his heart already to betray him, but God is there withholding him from doing that. It's not Jesus' time to be betrayed. It's not his time to be sold. And there's God withholding and preventing Judas from doing what's really in his heart. Now the time's going to come that God's going to remove the restraints and allow Judas to do what's in his heart. But for this present time here in John 6, God's withholding him from doing that. In Romans chapter 1, again more familiar scripture, and I believe we can see it here as well, that here is man going away from God, seeking to uh, erase God even from their thoughts and their memory. And three times here, God gives over. So God must have been, you see, their, their hearts are wicked, they're desiring sin, but for whatever reason in the fleshly side of it, maybe there was a shame to this sin. 
And I think you can look at the history of the U.S. and you can see this take place. Maybe at one point this sin was a shame. But as man goes further from God and, and God gives over, God quits withholding, God loosens the restraints, and sin becomes more acceptable and all right in the eyes of man. So what's preventing man from being completely wicked? I mean, we read about man and all the sin that's in every man. But you say, well, not everybody's that bad. Well, that's because there's a God in control that withholds and prevents man from reaching his true nature of sin. You see that in Judas? Judas' heart is already there to betray the Son of God, but God is withholding him from doing what's truly in his heart. Now, they're going to seek to take Jesus uh, even after we read this on down in the book of John. And you're going to see in some places Jesus walks through the midst of them and they can't take him. And in others, they're afraid of the people and they don't arrest him. But in every case, recognize the hand of God at work preventing Jesus from being taken until his time. The devil will not mess up the timeline of God Almighty. Mankind will not mess up the timeline of God Almighty. Remember when they come to tell Jesus, Herod's seeking to kill you. Go tell that fox that today and tomorrow I labor. It's not my time yet. And so that's what we see here. Was Judas a devil? He was a devil. He was not going to make a decision in the future that would make him a devil. The fact of the matter is he's going to make that decision to betray the Lord because he was a devil. And Peter's confession was made because he was persuaded by the Son of God. So in John chapter 17, have I not chosen you? Was this not the the free choice of God that these twelve be the followers of the Lord Jesus. Could he have picked anybody? I mean, honest. Couldn't he have took anybody that he wanted to have been the twelve? And yet these twelve, in John 17, while I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I kept. And none of them is lost but the son of perdition that the scripture might be fulfilled. So the Lord has chosen, the Lord has kept these twelve except for the one that was prophesied of that the scriptures be fulfilled and that the will of God be accomplished. So now uh, he spake of Judas, the son of Simon, for he it was that should betray him, being one of the twelve. After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he would not walk in Jewry, because the Jews sought to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of the tabernacles was at hand. His brethren therefore said unto him, Depart hence, and go unto Judea, that the disciples, that thy disciples also may see the works that thou doest. For there is no man that doeth anything in secret 
and he himself seeketh to be known openly. If thou do these things, shew thyself unto the world, for neither did his brethren believe in him. So an interesting little interaction that we have here, and we'll look at Jesus' answer to this in just a minute. But first, Jesus would not walk in Jewry. He stayed in Galilee in his home country. He wouldn't go up to Judea or Jerusalem because they sought to kill him. So by reason of the hatred, by reason of their desire to take him and arrest him, by reason of the uproar that we see, Jesus will go to Jerusalem on occasion, but his life and the majority of his time is going to be spent in Galilee because they sought to kill him. And so Jesus, recognizing and knowing this, he says, I'm going to stay in my home country. But now's come the Feast of the Tabernacles. And in Deuteronomy 16, there were three times, three feasts a year that every male was required to go up to Jerusalem. There was the Feast of the Tabernacles, which is the one we're seeing here, the Day of Atonement, and the Passover. And so here, the Feast of the Tabernacles is at hand. Jesus' brothers, they're all going to Jerusalem because that's the tradition. That's the religious way. And they say to Jesus, depart and go. And you think about the common sense of this. If you're the Messiah, if you're the anointed one, if you're the Savior, if you're the king in the lineage of David, if you are the prophet in the line of Moses, then you ought to be at Jerusalem up there. You ought to be up there where the capital is and where the most people are. And if, if you desire to be known, why do all these works in secret? If you want people to know who you are, then shouldn't you be up there in the open, in front of crowds, and in front of multitudes doing these mighty works. Now we've seen hints to it that it wasn't these great works. Jesus wasn't doing this to be famous. We said that back just a chapter ago. Well, here's evidence of it. His brothers say, why are you trying to hide your power? Why don't you go up to Jerusalem and do these works openly. Now exactly what their motivations are, I don't know. Whether they were evil, whether they wanted him to go because they knew that the Jews wanted him dead and they had surely arrest him and have him killed, or whether they were just making fun of him here, I don't know. But we do know this, that at this time his brethren were unbelievers. And so whatever the motivation was, whether it was to make fun and poke at him or to have him go and be arrested and killed, that their motivation came from a heart that they didn't believe that he was the Messiah. So perhaps this is what's going on. If you're really that, then you ought to be at Jerusalem. You being down here and, and hiding and doing these works in secret and out of the sight of the multitude is proof that you're not who you say you are. Now we talked about the timeline of God here. So his brothers have said this and Jesus answered to them, 
in verse 6. My time is not yet come, but your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, but me it hateth, because I testify of it that the works thereof are evil. Go ye up unto the feast. I go not up yet until this, unto this feast, for my time is not yet full come. When he had said these words, he abode still in Galilee. So Jesus says, my time is not yet come. So you think about an appointment um, at the doctor's office at 9 o'clock, and here it is, 7, and somebody says, well, why haven't you left yet? Well, it's not my time to be there yet. And so you see, Jesus' life is on a timeline, if you'll have it. God the Father has ordered His life in Ecclesiastes 3. To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. So God has laid out the Lord Jesus' life and ordered it, and Jesus is following the timeline that the Lord has done, remembering that He's going to do all of the Father's will, and He's going to do it perfectly. So the Lord says, it's not my time to go, but your time's always ready. Jesus says, it don't matter when you go or when you come. It doesn't matter if you go or if you don't. Your time's always ready. But I've got a time to be there. I've got a time to be back. I've got a time to eat the Last Supper. I've got a time to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. I've got a time that I'm going to be crucified and give my life for the world. So the world cannot hate you. You can go to Jerusalem and you can come back freely. They're not against you. They don't despise you. Your presence there means nothing to them. This is going to be also a revelation of their unbelief in that saying. Because he's going to say of the disciples... The world doesn't hate itself, but you the world hates because you're not of the world. But because the brethren, they're unbelievers, there's no difference in them, the world doesn't hate them. The world loves its own. And so here, me it hateth because... So what's the reason that the world hates Jesus? It's not because he's healing people. It's not because he's doing good works. It's not because that, uh, that he's going and, and helping those that are in need. But what's really going on is a revelation of the nature and the desires and the works of man. The Bible says, "...the works thereof are evil." Remember in John 3, they run from the light. Why does man hate the light? Because their deeds are evil. In the presence of the light, the evil of their deeds and of their life is made manifest. <coughs> and so by nature, man desires to keep his evil hidden to the eyes of others. And what are we going to do? Well, we're going to stay away from the light. We're going to hate the light that reveals my true nature 
and what's really in my heart. The Lord Jesus, as He goes and teaches, and as He preaches the Word of God, He is revealing that the Jews and you know these people in Galilee, they were Jewish people. But John, when he says Jews, he's referring to the leaders and the religious folks in Jerusalem. As he begins to teach, now here's a people that's, that's got a, a high reputation amongst the crowd for being the best of the best. And the Lord Jesus is revealing that even in the best, their sin and need of a Savior. And they hate Him for that reason. And so man hates the gospel. Man hates the Word of God for the same reason. And it's simple. It's because the works of the world are evil and the light of the gospel reveals that. Remember what Ahab said to Elijah, Thou hast found me, O mine enemy. Elijah was his enemy. Now why was that? Ahab was evil. And the word of God through Elijah revealed what Ahab and what Jezebel truly were. And because of that revelation, Elijah was despised for the word of God's sake. And the Lord Jesus is despised for the word of God's sake. So he says, But me it hateth, because I testify of it that the works thereof are evil. Go ye up unto the feast. I go not up yet. So notice that. He's not saying that he's not going, but I'm not going now to the feast. I'm going to wait till it's my time to go to the feast. For my time is not yet full come. When he had said these words unto them, he abode still in Galilee. But when his brethren were gone up, then went he also up unto the feast, not openly, but as it were in secret. So Jesus is going to go. But he's going in a way that nobody's going to know that he's there. In secret. Under How can that be? Ain't it, ain't it amazing? So he's going to go, but he's going to go in secret under the cover of darkness. He's going to go hidden. Nobody's going to know that he's there. Not even his brothers are going to know that he's there. He's going to be covered up to the eyes of man. Does that happen today? I mean, here's the church gathering, the place where the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is preached. The place where life in Christ can be found through the gospel and through the Spirit. The place where man could be forgiven of every sin and enter into life. Escape the wrath of God. You know what that is though? That's hidden, isn't it? Every word that I just spoke is the truth, but in the eyes of man, it's hidden. Jesus is in the midst of them. And they do not know that He's there. And so it is today in secret. And do you know who's going to see Him? Those that He's revealed unto. And so, in verse 11, And there was much murmuring among the people concerning Him. For some said, Oh, I'm sorry, I started in 12. Let me back up to verse 11. Jesus is going up in secret. 
Then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, Where is he? And there was much murmuring among the people concerning him. For some said, He's a good man. Others said, Nay, but he deceiveth the people. Howbeit no man spake openly of him for fear of the Jews. So here, a self-fulfilling prophecy of Jesus. I'm not walking there because they seek to kill me. Now the Jews in their mind, as this feast is coming, and they know by the law every male is required to come to Jerusalem, they're already plotting. And when we get everybody up here, he'll be here. And we'll get him then. And so as the feast begins, as the people start coming in, they're out there looking for him. They're seeking after him. What's their motivation? To kill him. We want to arrest this man and we want to get rid of this man. But notice the talk amongst the people. Some said he's a good man. Some said he's a deceiver. But Jesus, his name is on the mouth of everybody that's at Jerusalem. This is not, you know, Paul's going to say that this wasn't done in a corner. No, everybody in the country knows who Jesus is. They've got an opinion of him one way or the other. But this is not something that only a few people are aware of. The whole nation's aware of this man, Jesus. And not just the nation. This time of year we think about the wise men from the east. Jesus is, they're aware of Jesus outside of the nation of Israel. And so here, he's the talk of the town. And in John chapter 9, verse 16, Therefore said some of the Pharisees, This man is not of God, because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. Others said, How can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? And there was division. Remember Jesus said, I come not to bring peace, but division. You notice how this works? One man's got one opinion, another's got another and it creates a division between them. Jesus is the cause of this division. Does that not happen in families? Does that not happen on the job? Does that not happen in relationships day by day? Because the Lord has persuaded, fully persuaded His people of who the Son of God is. And to the rest, He's hidden to them. And there's a division surrounding the man, Jesus Christ. Some said he was a deceiver. He's no better than a devil. He's a deceiver. He's wicked. Howbeit no man spake openly for fear of the Jews. They knew that this was not somebody that you spoke of out loud. We're going to see in the future that the parents of the blind man are afraid to say his name because they didn't want to be excommunicated. Now we're talking there, we're not just talking about being churched. We're talking about being put out of the synagogue and your rights of being a citizen there in, in your hometown being taken. So there's a great fear there amongst the people. They know not to speak out loud of Jesus. The Jews have tried to silence 
and keep this man from being in the forefront. And yet, there he is in the forefront on everybody's mind. No doubt some are saying, where is he? I want to see him do one of his mighty works. I'd like to hear him teach. And others says, well, he's a deceiver. We don't want him to be here. But now, about the midst of the feast. So the Feast of the Tabernacles was a seven-day feast. And now in the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. And the Jews marveled, saying, How knoweth this man letters, having never learned? Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God, or whether I speak of myself. He that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory, but he that seeketh his glory that sent him, the same is true, and no unrighteousness in him. Did not Moses give you the law? And yet none of you keepeth the law. Why go ye about to kill me? So the Feast of the Tabernacles, in the midst of the feast, Jesus is first going to be seen. He's going to be seen in the temple with the Word of God and He's going to be teaching. And everywhere that we see the learned men around Jesus and around His teaching, they say, how does this man have this knowledge? He wasn't brought up under Gamal. He wasn't brought up under uh, the college or the... Uh, maybe, maybe today we would say the seminary. How does this man have this understanding of the Scriptures having never learned? See, there's the downside to being fallen in sin. Our minds and our hearts and our eyes are blinded to the depths of the Word of God. Jesus is not fallen in sin. But he, the Father, is not given the Spirit by measure unto him, and he is the living, incarnate, breathing Word of God. He doesn't have to learn by man when God the Father is revealing the truths by the Spirit unto his Son. But they're amazed. They're amazed at his doctrine. And Jesus says, It's not mine, but it's of him that sent me. This is where my understanding has came from. It's came from the Father that sent me. And you know, you think in uh, Matthew 22, when they heard these words, they marveled. Matthew 7, And it came to pass when Jesus ended His sayings, the people were astonished. For He taught as one having authority and not as the scribes. He came with the authority of God behind His teaching. There was a weight. There was a, that word authority, force, capacity, competency, mastery. He came with a mastery and an understanding of the Scriptures that no man had even amongst the most learned of the Jews. And they're astonished. They're amazed at His wisdom and His understanding. And Jesus says, My doctrine is not of Me. It's not Mine. But it's from the Father that sent Me. So you're astonished at how I know these things. 
because I've not been taught by one of you. Was that true? That was true. So we've got here another evidence, another witness of Jesus' deity here. He's not learned. He's not been taught. And yet He knows, and not just knows, He knows more than the masters of the law. The doctors, the Sanhedrin, the priests. He's got such an advanced understanding of the Scriptures. He says it's came from God. And I don't know how, I don't know how you couldn't come to that realization. And yet the blindness of man will not come to that realization. Verse 17, If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. In Psalm 25, verse 8, Good and upright is the Lord, therefore will He teach sinners in the way. The meek will He guide in judgment, and the meek will He teach His way. So the Lord here is instructing. He's teaching through the Word of God the minds and the hearts of man. Giving them a spiritual insight that they did not have before. An application of the Word of God, not a general or broad understanding, but bringing it down to the lives of the individuals that were there and revealing the hidden truths of God to the people. And so the Lord, He's instructing sinners in the way. You know how we receive knowledge? You can receive knowledge and be taught by man. You certainly can. And you'll be a Pharisee and a scribe and a hypocrite. You'll be an actor. But here, the knowledge, the understanding is being received from God the Father. And that brings a regeneration and a new life. And so he says, whether I be of God or whether I speak of myself, he that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory. So in Galatians chapter 6, verse 12, As many as desire to make a fair shoe in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised. Only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised that they might glory in your flesh. Jesus says those that speak of themselves, they're seeking their own glory. They won't honor for them. Paul's writing to the Galatians. Here were these Judaizers that came <coughs> to a church of saved people. And their instruction was now, if you're going to continue on and continue to be saved, then you're going to have to be circumcised or you're really not righteous. You're going to have to keep the law or you're really not righteous. You're going to have to do all of these ceremonies or you're really not going to be accepted with God. They were laying restraints on man. And Paul says, as many as desire to make a fair shoe. You know what that's all about? 
a show in the flesh. Something to boast in and something to claim. Look what we've done. And also a fear of suffering persecution for the gospel of Christ. So man compromises the gospel and man adds to the gospel for his own glory, for his own praise, for his own honor. Really what they're saying is that the Lord Jesus and Him crucified is not sufficient for you to be righteous in God the Father's eyes. But you must, with Jesus, do all of these other things in order to be made righteous. That's a heresy, wouldn't you say? What? Right. So would you not say that if a man or a woman is placed in Christ Jesus, God has justified them. They are indwelled by the Spirit of Jesus Christ. God has washed away all their sins. God has imputed the righteousness of Christ on them. What more do they need to do to be accepted with God? Is there anything more? Well, if you don't live like this, you're you're dealing with a different subject there. If they don't have a life, then it's because they're not regenerated and in Christ. You're dealing in the wrong subject. But to them that are in Christ Jesus, there is therefore no more condemnation. They are righteous in God's eyes through Christ and through Christ alone. Now anything more, we're seeking our own glory. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 18, let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels. So beguile of reward. You talk about a reward that's in Jesus Christ. That I am free from condemnation. I'm free from guilt. I am righteous before God today and forevermore. I've got no fear of judgment, no fear of wrath, but I'm a child of God. You know what man wants to do? He wants to take that from you. <clears throat> What's he want to bring on? Voluntary humility and worshiping of angels. We're going to get the focus off of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done. We're going to get the focus now on what I've done and what you're doing. You see, that's what's happening in Colossia. They have taken the focus away from the Son of God and they've put it on the ministers and on themselves. And on works, works, works. And so the glory, the working, the doing, it's all of the church. And it's not the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know how, I don't know how you could justify that with words. That's what's going on here. A voluntary humility, worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, Vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. Puffed up. He's inflated in his carnal mind. 
How inflated is a man in his carnal mind to think he's going to add something to what the Lord Jesus has done? To think that we're going to make better or we're going to improve or we're going to take it just a stone's throw farther by adding to Jesus what we are doing. That's inflation, wouldn't you say? An inflation of the vain, carnal mind to think we're adding to the Lord Jesus' work. And so, not holding the head from which all the body by bands and joints is held together. We've cut the head off. The Lord Jesus has been removed and we're putting ourselves and our works and our doings at the forefront. And the Lord, He's just somebody that helps us do these things. I tell you, that's seeking man's glory. That's seeking my praise and my honor for my works. He that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory. But he that seeketh his glory that sent him, the same is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. So the Lord says, my doctrine is not to exalt myself, but my doctrine is to exalt the Father that has sent me. But now think about this also, that the Lord Jesus is the means that the Father has sent. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior of the world. He is the only begotten Son of God. He is, as John said in chapter 1, He's the Word that created the world. He is all those things. And yet His doctrine is not exalting who He is that man might look to Him and wonder. That goes on a lot too. I want you to admire my closeness to God. And I will form my message to exalt myself. The Lord Jesus is seeking not His own glory, but the glory of the Father that sent Him. Did not Moses give you the law? So the law came, and every one of these folks, now they didn't know what to think of Jesus, but they did know what they thought of Moses. They thought highly of Moses. And they respected the law. And they desired to keep the law to the T. And Jesus says, did not Moses give you the law? This highly regarded prophet and this word of God that you say that God the Father gave down from heaven unto Moses, didn't he give you that? And yet none of you keep it. Boy, here's we're going back now to verse number 7. I'm revealing the nature of man. I'm revealing what's in his heart. They would have said, yes, Moses gave the law. That's the Word of God. We don't know what you're talking about. And Jesus says, well, if that is the Word of God, then why are you not keeping it? And man says, well, I am keeping it. The rich young ruler says, I'm, I'm kept it all from my youth up. 
But the Lord says, Why go ye about to kill me? Now what we can see, the brothers at least knew about it. All of the multitude in Jerusalem, they were aware that the Jews wanted to arrest this man. They were aware that they couldn't talk about this man or they would be arrested. And Jesus just pulls what's hidden behind closed doors. He's going to pull it out in the open. You're seeking to kill me. So in in John chapter 5, verse 45, Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuseth you, even Moses, in whom you trust. In John chapter 9, verse 28, Then they reviled him and said, Thou art his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. So you see how Jesus has taken the very words that they said they believed. They didn't believe Jesus. They didn't want to hear Jesus. But Jesus has taken the words that they said they believed and proven that they were sinners by what they loved and enjoyed the most. You know, the Sadducees, they only believed the first five books. If it was outside of the books of Moses, they didn't count it as the Word of God. Jesus is going back. There's not a person in Jerusalem at this feast that's going to deny that the laws, the Word, and the requirement, and the standard of God. And He's just revealed their sin and their breaking of the law unto them. We're Moses' disciples. But really they weren't. They weren't as good as they thought they were. In Romans 2 verse 21, Thou therefore which teachest another, teachest thou not thyself? Thou that preachest a man should not steal. Dost thou steal? Bring your teaching back to you. You say a man shouldn't do this. Do you do it? You see how the guilt is heaped up greater and greater. But listen to what they say. The people answered and said, Thou hast a devil. Who goeth about to kill thee? You are a liar. That's the response to the gospel so often. Even though in their hearts they know that they want to kill him and they've discussed it and we've made plans. Listen, when this feast starts, we're going to find him up here. He'll be here. We'll find him and arrest him. They've not fooled Jesus. But you know they're worried about everybody else. We don't want everybody else to know that we're a sinner. And so we're going to call the Word of God a liar. But First John chapter 1, verse 10, if we say that we've not sinned, we make Him a liar and the truth is not in us. So what they're doing is saying, no, I'm correct and God is the liar. I'm telling the truth, but you're the one that's a liar. Jesus answered and said unto them, I have done one work, and y'all marvel. Now I don't know, I don't know exactly what work that he's referring to here. 
before these folks. We do know that He's turned water into wine. We know that He's healed people that were sick. We know that He's done miracles. We know that He walked on the water. We know that He fed a multitude. There's been multiple works here. Jesus says, I've done one thing and y'all marvel. Now my thought is, He's just talking to His teaching that He was just doing in the temple. I've been here teaching and everyone is marveling at this work. We're out of time and I'll stop right there. Maybe we'll pick up in verse 20 next time.